The subject of temptation is a very important one. Have you ever been frustrated with the challenges to sin put in front of you? You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says we ought to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The truth is, every one of us have something that is a difficulty, a particular temptation in our life, something which attracts us. It may be that it is your tongue, gossiping, other sins of the tongue. Maybe what it is is a challenge for you. Someone says something and you think, I've got to tell somebody else. It may be something bad. It may be something that you don't even know is true, but oh, you've got to tell it. And you have to resist that temptation. It may be for desire for things that you ought not have. You know, as God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, you're not to covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house, his servants, the animals on his farm. There's some things that are not yours to have. Do you ever find yourself having an inordinate desire for something that does not belong to you and to which you have no right? Anger and other sins of passion. Someone does something. Someone says something. And immediately, anger boils within you. And you begin to think about how to exhibit the malice that comes from that. Do you have to resist those temptations very strongly in your life? Pride, selfish ambition. Do you believe that everything should revolve around you and your decisions and your opinions and what you think ought to be accomplished? Is life really all about you? Do you have this pride of self that says, I'm okay. I don't need anybody else to tell me how to live my life or what to do. Brother Chuck read to us James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. God does not tempt us. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, nor does he himself tempt anyone. You know who the tempter is? The devil is the tempter. He is the one trying to get you to sin. But God does test you. This morning, I would like for us to look at three things. First of all, I would like for us to look at the similarity that all of us experience with temptation. You are not alone. Everybody has to go through the same kinds of temptations that you are facing. Number two, objective. What is the reason for temptations? Why are you and I tested? And then number three, some safeguards that God built in. You can say, I can see SOS there. I saw that after the lesson was prepared. It was not done that way intentionally. Let's begin, first of all, 
with similarity. Do you ever feel like you're all alone in temptation? That somehow you are being singled out, that it's just you? I do sometimes. Why me? Why am I facing this kind of temptation? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, from which the most of this lesson is going to be drawn. No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. Now think about that. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. The truth is, is that temptation is an aspect of who we are. And it's common to each and every one of us. I want you to notice the context in which this appears. Because Paul, in writing the Corinthians, is trying to explain to them the commonality. So you go back and he uses Israel beginning with verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit fornication as some of them did, and in one day fell 23,000. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. He said, you look back at the kind of temptations which they faced. You ever have a temptation to complain? I do. You ever have a temptation to want things that you don't need to have? I think all of us have. Life is real. And if you and I do not learn from the failures of others, we are foolish. I can look at others and see the troubles, the difficulties, the consequences that sin has in someone else's life and see where it ends up and say, no, I don't want to do that. There's a benefit in being a younger sibling. Do y'all know that? Some of you may be the oldest in the family, but there's a benefit in being a younger sibling because you see what your older brother or your older sister did or does and the trouble that it creates in their lives, and you can say, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to get in that kind of trouble. It is a part of the human condition. God designed man with the capacity to choose. And if I have the capacity to choose, that means I can choose wrong. I can choose sin. Let me illustrate it to you from the book of Hebrews 
chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, speaks about Jesus and his taking physical form. And here's what the writer says. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, here's the key. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You see, Jesus, to be able to help us, had to take physical, human form to be tempted so that he could be able to help us in that way. You come to chapter 4, verse 15. He goes on to say, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The emphasis is he was tempted just like you and I are tempted, but he didn't commit sin. We can look at Jesus and find in him the perfect way to respond. You see, as I begin to look at the commonality of this, the fact that all of us share this similarity, and Jesus came and he shared that as well, then I can look at the way he addressed it. For just a few minutes, I'd like to talk about the temptation of Christ. And I want to look at some of the aspects of it that might be helpful for us. And the first one is timing. When you look at the life of Jesus, when did temptation come to him? Well, the first one I'd like to point to is to a situation that occurred that is recorded in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 3 describing the baptism of Jesus. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. The voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Stop before we get to verse 12 just a second. Is there any point in the life of Jesus when it does not appear that he was on a higher plane? He's not suffering at this point. He is being honored in the sense that he's obeying the Father's will. And God speaks from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, my loving Son. I'm well pleased with him. Notice the timing of verse 12. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. That's where the temptation began. Do you know one of the times in which you and I, we feel like everything is going right? It may be after you become a Christian, right after you're baptized. And you feel like everything is great. I am standing strong. I am great with God. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. The devil looks for an opportunity when we're not watching for him. 
me give you a second issue. And that of vulnerability. The devil looks at a time in which you and I are in need. A time in which you and I want something and we want it really bad. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 2, Matthew records, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Forty days, forty nights. Some of times we exaggerate. We haven't eaten maybe in just a few hours and we say, oh, I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. Pretty big animal to eat. But you know what we're trying to say is, is that we really feel hunger. No, we don't. We think we do. You go forty days and forty nights without food, you'll know what real hunger is. But that's when the devil came to Jesus to tempt him. He tries to get us when we're wanting something, we're wanting it really bad. Luke chapter 4 verse 13, which also records the temptation of Christ, says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He's looking for an opportunity. How many of us have found ourselves giving in to temptation when we were maybe thinking everything was all right? When we were in a time of something of great desire? And the devil just used that opportunity against us. And you see, the devil use some avenues. He knows what we want. He knows how to provide it in a a very beautiful package, making us think that's something to be desired. That's what he did with Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You see, there's, it's pretty. It's desirable. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life, and it is not of the Father, but of the world. And he goes on to say, The world is passing away, but he who does the will of God will abide forever. Why do I need to be tempted? Why me? Why am I in this situation where temptation is in front of me every day? Well, you will never know if something will stand until you test it. On Wednesday evening, the topic I was assigned to speak on was the wise and the foolish builder. As far as one would know from the text of reading about the wise and the foolish builders, it appears that there's no difference 
in their construction techniques nor in their building materials. The distinction is between upon what they built, the foundation, sand or the rock. But both houses stood for some period of time. The only way you could tell whether or not one house was better built than the other was when the rains descended and the winds blew and one house could not stand because it was not on a solid foundation. The only way you and I can actually know whether or not we are truly loyal to God is if we're tested. Will we meet the test? Listen to Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. You know the rest of the story. God says, I want you to offer Isaac, your only son, on the altar. You drop down to verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God's looking at Abraham and he says, Abraham, I've got to put you to the test. I've got to know whether you're faithful or not. Now did God know? Sure God knew. But after it was over, Abraham knew as well. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, by faith, or 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he had begotten, or, and he whom had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. When Peter is writing to Christians, and they're going through a terrible time of persecution, tribulation, he said to them in verse 7 of chapter 1, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, you've got to test gold. Is it real or is it not real? You've got to test a Christian. Are we genuine or are we not genuine? In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? The passage I thought best represented the point I'm trying to make is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses has led the children of Israel to the Jordan River. They're in the Acacia Grove ready to cross over into the Promised Land in the land of Moab. And as they are there... Moses is recounting for them. Well, they're not quite in the Acacia Grove yet. But Moses is recounting to them how God has led them through this. And here's the way he phrases it. And you shall remember the Lord your God who led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor your fathers know. 
that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. He said God tested you. God wanted to know whether you were genuine. Now let me bring it to the idea of safeguards. I can understand all of us go through the temptations of life. There's a similarity, a commonality that we all experience. There's a reason for it as well. Why God allows the devil to place temptations to sin in front of us and why God himself tests us. But God has built safeguards into man's temptations. I want you to go back with me to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 again. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And here's the next part. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's two aspects in this. The first one, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. God knows the breaking point of every individual person. He knows the point at which if you go beyond that, you couldn't resist. What that means is that if I am confronted with the temptation, I cannot say I can't help it. You can help it because God is guaranteed as a safeguard it can't go beyond your ability. Number two, with the temptation, God will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's always a right choice. Someone says, I'm between a rock and a hard place. The temptation in front of me is so overwhelming give you an illustration. Joseph was tempted by Mrs. Potiphar. And Joseph did not want to acquiesce to her temptation. What did he do? He turned and ran and he ended up suffering prison for that. But that was right. He did what he was supposed to do. Sometimes temptations are not easy. And what Jesus taught in that great prayer of Matthew chapter 6, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Perhaps temptations would not be so strong nor so frequent if in our prayers we ask God to not allow us to have to go down a path of temptation. 
to ask that the temptation be removed from us. To keep us from the devil and from his temptations. And then we have to be on the defensive. We have to be vigilant. We have to watch. In Ephesians 6, verses 16 and 17. And above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the bottom line. You will be tempted. Every one of us have been... And will be. The devil is still active in this world. If you succumb to the temptation, you cannot blame anybody else for your own choices. Every man is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I can't look and say, they put the temptation in front of me. They'll deal with that themselves before God. I've got to deal with me and my choices. And this morning, if there is sin in your life and you yielded to sin because of the temptation in front of you, you have to own it. You have to acknowledge, I am the one that made the mistake. We're living in a society which always wants to blame somebody else for the problems which we're experiencing. Folks, here's the reality. If I have sin in my life, it's my choice. And I'm going to have to be the one that deals with it. But there is hope for those of us who have failed. You see, God has a plan. And those who endure, James 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Temptation. Everybody's going to face it. But not everybody has to give in to it. And when you give in to it, you've got to repent from it. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian... The devil still wants to tempt you to stay with him and stay with this world, but resist him. When we sing this invitation song, you need to say, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to walk forward. I'm going to confess my faith in Christ. I am going to repent of my sins. I'm going to stand before this audience and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized. That's important, folks. Your soul is important. If you're here as a Christian and you're not ready to meet God and you need to restore your faithfulness, let us pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing? I